0: Flatiron School is an international coding boot camp that changes lives through education. One of its strengths is its focus on teacher quality. Its teacher training team has experts in both pedagogy and content knowledge who ensure our students receive the best educational experiences possible. This is the podcast of the Flatiron School teacher training team. Hi, this is Sean. I'm the director of teacher training at Flatiron School. And today's podcast is on individualized learning, one of Flatiron School's five educational principles. This is the idea that learning is unique to each individual. The learning experience itself is unique. The things that someone learns are unique. And that also means that students have unique gaps in their understanding. And so therefore, A one-size-fits-all approach to learning is unlikely to be equally effective for everyone. The field of education, at least Western education, was formed around the idea that we should be able to progress students through classrooms, learning the same things at the same times, in order to maximize efficiency and be able to sort out leaders and managers from workers. That's where the educational system that we use in the Western world came from. And unfortunately, that model is not so good. There are good things about it. It allows you to teach lots of people at a time. But what it doesn't allow you to do is to create unique learning experiences for all of the people in that classroom. And those unique learning experiences are going to happen whether or not you address them in the classroom. Everybody learns at a different pace. Everybody learns different things in different ways. Everybody comes from a different level of understanding as they go into the material. And so understanding that fact is central to understanding how to individualize learning to make it most effective. So there are some ideas here that I want to unpack. One of the ideas is the mental model. This is basically a model of anything that you learn. If you visualize it as a map, it's the connections between concepts, it's the scope of knowledge as you radiate further out from the center of the map. And it's not a literal thing. Nobody actually creates their knowledge as a map, but it's a useful way to visualize this. The map that you build, your mental model, is different from everyone else's even if you're learning the same thing as someone else, and that's because you have built that mental map yourself. This is true for every one of your students. It does not matter whether the information that you hear is the same as the information that they hear. It will be learned differently by each person. The mental models that are formed are also not fully accurate. There are misconceptions inherent in mental models A misconception is different from a misunderstanding. A misconception is a pre-existing belief that will affect someone's ability to learn a new concept. So it's an incorrect belief, but it's a pre-existing belief. It's not the same as lack of understanding of a concept in a class. It's more like you've gone into the class with the concept that the world is flat and that makes gravity difficult to understand. So unpacking those mental models is critical. That is the job of the educator. You have to help unpack those mental models, the understandings that exist, the misconceptions and misunderstandings that exist, and help the students reconstruct and construct a better mental model of what they've learned. There's one more theoretical concept that I want to mention before we get to techniques. Differentiation means creating learning experiences that fit the learning needs of individual students. Sometimes this is known as personalized learning. And it's a reflection of the fact that those mental models in your students are different. Your students are starting from a different place of knowledge. They're starting with a different level of understanding of the material. They have a different level of understanding of what you do in your class. Therefore, differentiation is actually necessary to give the best instructional and learning experience possible to every one of your students. Differentiation can be done many different ways. You can use assessment to determine what someone should study next. You can put students into small groups and have them work together based on levels of ability. There's plenty of ways to go at this but the idea of differentiation is quite different from the factory model of education. If you've listened to prior episodes of the podcast, you've noticed that I like to make these constructivist learning experiences. And so that means that I'm going to make sure that you engage with the material. So we just talked for a few minutes about mental models, misconceptions, misunderstandings, differentiation so I'm going to ask you a few questions, and I'd love it if you would pause the recording and see whether you can answer those questions before going on to the next one. This is a self-check of understanding. If you missed any of that stuff that I'm going to mention, feel free to go back. I'll be here when you get back to this point. The first question is, why would you examine and unpack a learner's misconceptions? Pause the recording. Think about that for a few seconds. The second question is, what is the difference between a misconception and a misunderstanding? Again, pause the recording and think about that. The third question is, what might differentiation look like in your interactions with students? And is it something that you already do? Again, pause the recording, think about that. Hopefully you actually followed the instructions and didn't sit there listening awkwardly to silence. I'm not going to go over answers. Again, if you're not clear on those answers, that was a good reflection for yourself that you should go back and review some of the things that I just talked about. For now, I want to move forward with some techniques that will foster individual learning. The first of those techniques is the notion of deliberate practice. So take the example of a soccer team. The soccer team has practices and the soccer team has games. In the practices, the soccer team does not just play a game. What happens is the coach breaks down the things that the soccer players need to learn or improve on and drills on those things very, very intentionally. We're going to spend 15 minutes on throw-ins. We're going to spend 25 minutes on passing. And I know that some people are very angry at me for calling it soccer and not football. I'm going to stand by it. So that example of the soccer team can be a parallel to how you can learn in a class or a learning experience. And that's what deliberate practice is all about. It's about finding those things that will make your performance noticeably better. Finding the areas of high impact things that a student misunderstands or has a misconception about, or is a new concept that actually will bridge the gap to further learning. Whatever those things are, deliberate practice is then the act of drilling on those very specific ideas or learning experiences. This is something that can be facilitated by a teacher. This is also something that you can build as a muscle in your students, meaning you can help your students to understand the concept of deliberate practice, to understand why they would practice something and not just try to perform an entire task, and to become somewhat self-sufficient in practicing. Another technique that can be very useful in building an individual learning experience is the concept of mastery learning. Mastery learning means student progress is determined by student mastery of the prior goals. So if a student performs at a very high level on a task, they can move on. If your student does not perform at a very high level on a task, they might go back and try to relearn how to do that task or relearn some part of that concept. Mastery learning actually necessitates differentiation because you can't assume that all of your students are going to learn at the same pace or be able to do the same things to the same level of mastery. So it leads to differentiated learning experiences where one student has demonstrated proficiency and is ready to move on. Another has not demonstrated proficiency and is not ready to move on and that's absolutely fine in the classroom. This doesn't work in a lecture setting. This requires that you build the opportunity for students to learn at their own pace, to learn in their own ways. This is not, by the way, an endorsement of the notion of learning styles. That whole theory is essentially a discussion of learning preferences. Howard Gardner has gone out of his way to say that the notion of learning styles has actually been completely twisted, and the way that many people see it as, I'm a kinesthetic learner. I'm an experiential learner is not what he intended. The long and short of it is building a mastery learning experience for your students actually really gets at the heart of what education should be about because what we want when we educate students is for them to learn and become proficient. We don't actually want to rank them. We don't actually want to see who learns fastest. What we want is for all of our students to learn well. Mastery learning is one method that ensures that your students learn well. A final technique that improves individualized learning experiences is the use of rubrics. Rubrics are a series of criteria and levels of proficiency that are used to evaluate students' progress towards learning goals. So to go back to the soccer analogy, still not football. Passing might be one of the criteria on the rubric. The lowest level of proficiency might be doesn't understand that the person should pass, doesn't understand the mechanics of passing, whatever not knowing how to pass looks like and the highest level might be not only that the person understands how and when to pass, but is able to make determinations about the effectiveness of a pass and judge whether or not to do it. So using a rubric allows incredibly granular identification of student ability. It also allows incredibly powerful communication with your students. And this is the thing that I think is most exciting about rubrics, and we're actually moving towards some really unique use of rubrics at Flatiron. So I said that it allows for communication with your students. And at a glance, obviously, yes, handing back a grade or feedback or scores on a rubric is communication. But what I'm talking about is sustained communication between a teacher and a student around what that student is learning around what that student has learned and around what that student needs to do to become proficient or a master at the thing that they're learning. And using a rubric as a formative assessment tool in this way, formative assessment means assessment that leads to future learning as opposed to summative assessment, which is assessment that evaluates the quality of prior learning, formatively using a rubric means creating a rubric before the beginning of the learning experience, letting your students in on the secret of what they are actually supposed to learn, and then consistently bringing students back to that rubric in order to check their progression, have them self-reflect on their progress, and communicate with them about where they need to get to. This, by the way, also makes conversations about summative assessments much easier. If you've been talking with your student all the way through about how they need to improve at this given learning goal, and now you're summatively assessing that learning goal at the end of this learning experience and they haven't gotten there, it doesn't change the fact that they haven't gotten there, but it does change the conversation about it. And ideally, it avoids that conversation because your communication with them through the rubric has been so effective that they actually knew exactly what they needed to do to learn and to achieve your learning goal and were able to accomplish it. So, we covered a few techniques here, deliberate practice, mastery learning, and rubrics. I'm not going to review them here, you can do that yourself by skipping back. But take a moment and think about whether those are things that you could use in your interactions with students, and I want you to pick one of those things and actually think about how you might apply it in your classroom or with your students. And that's what I'll leave you with. Please continue to think about this. It's so important to create individualized learning experiences for your students. It's not an easy path, but it's an incredibly powerful one. Thanks for listening.